Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome back to our weekly mailbag episode, a new thing we're doing this year, releasing an episode over the weekend, taking questions from patrons and uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. If you're not following us there, follow us on all those platforms as well, but taking questions from, from those platforms and really just having an opportunity to talk about the Major League Orioles, Major League as a whole. We could talk prospects here. If you have prospect questions, of course, shoot them our way, but each week, either myself, Bob, or Zach takes sometimes, maybe in the future, all three of us will come together and do one of these, bring some guests on to go through the questions as well. Week by week, who knows what this is going to end up looking like. But for now, it's me, just Nick Stevens here to go over a couple of questions we got on this week's mailbag. Some good ones, some lighthearted ones, some thinkers. So we'll talk through some of these this week. First one, first couple of questions here are, are from Bob. When he's not doing the show, he does like to include his own questions. Uh, First one is, what is your strategy when there are five games going on at the same time? Speaking of Orioles, AAA, AA, high A, and low A, obviously. Well, this year, thanks to my mother-in-law, I do have access to Masson for the first time in probably three years. So Orioles go up on the main TV, uh, and then whichever minor league game has the best pitching matchup, that usually goes on my laptop. But I've got all the tabs open for every game, most nights, especially early on in the year. Later on in the summer, when when summer ball, college summer ball kicks up, I'll be going to a lot of those games around town, so there's a little less watching as the season goes on, but for right now, I've got all the tabs open. Orioles up on the main TV, a lot of flipping around, and whatever I don't watch live that night, honestly, I'm throwing on at work the next day, so the amount of baseball I consume during the season is, is actually insane, but I would not have it any other way, and... I'm always looking for additional ways to consume even more baseball, which is kind of frightening. Uh, but another question to expand on that, Bob says, if you could only watch one team going in blind as far as starting pitcher and lineup, what would be your order of preference between Orioles, Tides, Bay Sox, Ironbirds, and Shorebirds? Uh, tough question. Probably Orioles first since this team is legit now. It's fun. So many of these players, these prospects that we followed uh, since we started the show, what, three years ago, uh, are now reaching the major leagues. Uh, This team is a serious playoff contender right now. So Orioles are probably first. Tides are an easy second. They're a close second only because Tides 
ties baseball. Like, that's my childhood. Harbor Park is where I legitimately fell in love with baseball as a kid. Um, and the best part about Harbor Park is nothing has changed. It's like stepping into the ultimate time warp every time I go back down there to Norfolk. Same food, same announcer, same games, even the same dude selling baseball cards and memorabilia outside the team store. I'm 35 now, but it's exactly like when I was 12, and I absolutely love it. Uh, then I'm going Bay Sox because this Bay Sox roster is always loaded. Shorebirds and then Ironbirds. I actually don't watch a ton of Aberdeen games just because the broadcast is just it's just not not good. Um, then he has another question here about Gunnar Henderson and his defense. Orioles fans may be frustrated with Gunnar Henderson's defense at third base, particularly due to some errant throws. What would you say to them about his long-term outlook at the position? I'd say that the errant throws were something that we saw a lot of in 2021, going back to his days in the minor leagues. He cleaned it up in 2022. I think that was something that was very noticeable early on last year when watching him. We obviously don't have you know the defensive metrics or any defensive data on minor leaguers. So the only thing we have that you can see to quantify his defense were the errors. He had 30 errors in 2021, cut that down to 16 last year. At the major league level, the game is just a lot faster. The pressure is amplified, so he's going to have to learn. And I think just let him settle in at the plate. And he's coming off a really great game on Friday with a couple of hits. Once he gets in a groove there at the plate, he can relax a little bit more maybe slow the game down defensively as well. He's going to be a mainstay on the left side of this infield for hopefully a very long time. I think there will be at least one, hopefully more gold gloves in his future. Gunner's going to be just fine. He's going to make rookie mistakes, but nothing in his past leads us to think he won't successfully rise to any challenge that he faces in the major leagues. Just let him, let him get comfortable and let him slow the game down a little bit. Be just fine. Uh, Kyle Stowers question here from Bob. Uh, Kyle Stowers discussion. Kyle Stowers continues to get very limited playing time. Do you think this is a high decision or coming down from the front office? So what is it going to take for him to get regular playing time? For Kyle Stowers to get playing time, uh, Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, Santander, Kowser, Kerstad, Hayes, McKenna, Daz Cameron, and Hudson Haskin are all going to have to be traded. That's, that's the only way Kyle Stowers gets playing time. But even then, you think about it, Connor Norby and Taron Vaver probably get first dibs if fill in the outfield spot. So even then, Kyle Stowers is going to have to fight for playing time. I don't know. Like Seriously, though, I did pull up this old article here. I wish we knew more why Stowers rarely plays, like the real reasons why. But I put up this piece John Mioli wrote for Baseball America, kind of recent. It was late January of this year. And just reading directly from his article from Baseball America here, he says, after punishing right-handed hitters at Camden Yards by punishing, sorry, right-handed hitters at Camden Yards by changing the outfield dimensions in left field, the Orioles spent the offseason pursuing left-handed hitters to balance their lineup. No matter who they bring in, 25-year-old Kyle Stowers may prove to be their best option. Quote, he'll have an opportunity to turn to win a major league job. Orioles manager Brandon High told reporters at the winter meetings he did some impressive things late, took some good at bats, some big homers. Got great experience playing in games we were playing against our division. Kyle's got a ton of ability. We believe in him as a hitter, Hyde said. He's going to have huge power. He's going to make some adjustments at the plate and continue to improve. And he walks. And he's going to be able to play corner outfield defense. That seems like pretty high praise from uh, Brandon Hyde himself there. I don't know if that was just coach speak or if Hyde genuinely believes Stowers can be an asset. But you have this series in Boston of shaky outfield defense. Stowers comes in and makes a terrific grab in Texas. 
If you watch Kyle Stowers in the minors, you know that his defense is better than he gets credit for. You look at the bat, he had a 977 OPS versus lefties in the minors last year versus an 849 OPS against righties. He cut the strikeout rate from about 32-33% in 2021 down to 25% in Norfolk while maintaining an 11% walk rate, 884 OPS, 130 WRC+, fewer ground balls. I mean, I could sit here and go through a long list of stats that show where Stowers noticeably improved at the AAA level. So I think there must be something somewhere in that data that we don't have access to that leaves him out of the optimal lineup. Like What this is, I have no clue, but I do think that if the front office were huge believers in Kyle Stowers, they would override any Hyde decision. I know a lot of people say Hyde hates Stowers. It's all Hyde. If the front office truly believed in Stowers, they would certainly override the manager, Uh, which is why I think this comes from the top and not necessarily Hyde. So I think there's something, someone in that front office, someone in the analytics side is saying that Kyle Stowers is, for whatever reason, uh, not the optimal guy to have right here in this lineup, hence why we don't get to see him a lot. I don't agree with it. Hashtag free Kyle Stowers. Put him in the lineup more often. I don't know. I wish I had a better answer for that. But yeah, I definitely think this comes more from the top and not Brandon Hyde. Uh, last question here. This part says the bullpen has been an issue early on with the absence of Tate and Givens. What is the right course of action for this unit that was so good last year? Honestly, I think right now, just stay the course. Like, Tate going down with something that I said before the season started could cause this domino effect with the bullpen. And I think early on, that's exactly what we saw. Givens going down, he was your insurance policy that you brought in in case of regression. And it doesn't help but that he goes down. But let's look at this group kind of quickly here. Felix Batista, he's locked in. I think Anthony Volpe is going to have nightmares about that splitter for weeks. That poor child uh not really who cares he's a yankee siono perez he's good he's good again this year uh, he did have that hiccup on friday orioles rolled him out tried to get a second inning out of him after when he had like a five or six pitch first inning but other than that he's been really solid this year logan gillaspie has caught the attention of you know, jim palmer and many others with his stuff uh, the savior right now in this bullpen has actually been danny cologne i mean three innings no hits no walks three strikeouts Clutch performances, coming at the right time, getting big outs. He's been a lot of fun to watch early on. Uh, it, it's That waiver claim is proving to kind of save this bullpen early on. But I think Givens you know, should be back soon, hopefully. And hopefully he's an asset when he does come back. Ideally, Bradish is back soon, pitching well. Grayson Rodriguez remains a fixture in the rotation. Someone's going to get bumped from the rotation. We'll talk about that a little bit later but whoever that is you know is going to be a much better option than Austin Voth and Ke- or Keegan Aiken and if you need them D.L. Hall is is sitting there like as the season progresses if the bullpen is still shaky and Hall is pitching like he did in his first start down in Norfolk huge swing and miss numbers so much just great underlying numbers but still needing the 70 plus pitches to get through three or four innings then I think you look to bring him up to add some firepower to the bullpen but Right now, this unit is still good. Let the season, the early season dust settle a little bit. And remember that there are more viable options to rotate in and out than we've seen in a very long time. So the cream will rise to the top. People will settle in. I'm not concerned really at all right now with, uh, with the bullpen. Uh, moving on to some Twitter questions. And this expands on the bullpen a little bit more. But Michael on Twitter 
asks, do you think any pitching prospects could be called up to help the bullpen? And if so, besides D.L. Hall, who should we look for? Uh, pretty good question. When you look at Norfolk's roster, not prospect focused, but you do have guys like Edward Bizzardo and Darwins and Hernandez. They have major league experience and have started the season by showcasing some really good stuff down in Norfolk. So they could get some looks at some point. Of course, you have Nick Vespi still hanging around in Norfolk. Still hasn't given up a run and now with 34, I think, straight AAA innings. He also held his own in the majors last year. Give him another shot. Uh, you also have the veterans, a big group of veterans down there like Joey Crable, Spencer Watkins, Bruce Zimmerman. But as far as prospects and a call-up to help the bullpen, you know, you've got Noah DeNoyer, Drew Rahman, and Ryan Watson are all on the 40-man roster right now after being added last December. DeNoyer doesn't have any AAA experience other than his first appearance the other night, so I think he's further away than the other two. But I'd probably say for bullpen help as a guy that you can bring in and immediately can fill a role, I think it could be Ryan Watson is probably the best option. We know that he can run his fastball into the upper 90s. He can hold that velo. He showed how good that slider is just the other day in his start for Norfolk. Generated a ton of swing and miss on the slider. So I'd say uh, look for Watson. That'd be the guy that I'm looking for there. Uh, Justin from Patreon. Justin has a question about a trade. We know how much I love talking about trades, but here we go. Justin says, at the trade deadline, we are contenders. The White Sox are not. Very, very plausible situation there. D.L. Hall, Colton Kowser, Joey Ortiz, and Jordan Westberg for Dylan Cease. Do you make this trade? Fantastic question. I make this trade without hesitation. Would Chicago take this deal? That is the question. I don't know that. Uh, I did pick Chicago as my sleeper team in our prediction episode, and they seem to be playing pretty well, but I think they've dropped two straight, and Eloy Jimenez, I believe, just hit the IL. So there we go. The the IL stints are here starting already for Chicago. But you look at their roster, you know, Westberg could immediately play second base for them like, tomorrow if he joins Chicago's team. An outfield eventually of Oscar Colas, Luis Robert Jr., and Colton Kowser would be a, a lot of fun to watch, not going to lie there. Joey Ortiz could be your replacement for Tim Anderson. I think if I'm looking at these numbers correctly, Tim Anderson, I believe, has a club option for $14 million next year. And he's going to be, what, 30 or 31 years old. So you could replace Ortiz. He's almost major league ready. You could replace Tim Anderson um, with Joey Ortiz. Obviously, I don't know how they view Hall, but their scouts have surely seen a lot of him in Charlotte. We just don't know a lot of the factors that go into making a trade work, so it's really hard to sit here and dissect all of these. But if I had to take a guess, I would say Baltimore would probably have to add a little bit more. Like Cease is, he's only 27 years old. He's coming off back-to-back 4.4 F4 seasons. He has multiple years of control. He's one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. Baltimore can get him without a doubt. They can go get any pitcher in baseball. They can go get any player in baseball that they want with this farm system. I doubt Chicago trades him, but if they do, they would really need to make sure that the return on that cease trade stocks their pretty barren farm system. So would I do the proposed trade as the question asks? Yes, I would 100% without hesitation. With Chicago though, probably not. But you think about this, you trade, from the Orioles' perspective, you trade Colton Kowser and Joey Ortiz tomorrow for a proven starter, and then you just got Jackson Holley and Heston Kerstad still in this organization. Like This this system is just stupid deep. And so hopefully, Michael Ice's words do come true, and this team is active at the trade deadline in terms of adding to the roster, because 
they can literally get whoever they want. Uh, Kevin from Patreon, lighthearted question for this one. Kevin asks, ketchup, mustard, or relish? Uh, thank you for this question to lighten the mood a little bit. Give me mustard. Maybe this is a hot take, but relish isn't good, and green just kind of sucks as a color. Uh, ketchup is just kind of whatever, so I am team mustard all the way. Uh, Kenneth from Patreon. Kenneth asks, if you were Elias, what's your rotation look like after the after Bradish is ready to come back, assuming everyone remains healthy? This is a really tough one, and I've seen some people already have this discussion online already. It's an interesting thought process. Gibson and Irving, they're still locks right now. Bradish, of course. If his debut was a preview of what's in store for Grayson Rodriguez on the mound, give me Grayson. And then, like this isn't a set order. It's just five names at random here. But then give me Dean Kramer for right now. I think he looked better against New York. If you, you have to give him a chance to prove that he can build off last year. He was too good last year not to give him an extended look this year. And I moved Tyler Wells to the bullpen. I We always talk about for two years now, it seems like you always say, well, just go to the six-man rotation. Just do this. Just do the piggyback thing. I don't think the Orioles are going to do that. They've never seemed to even even entertain that idea. So I don't think that's going to be an option. But I moved Tyler Wells to the bullpen. Like Kick Austin both to the curb. Let Tyler Wells fill that role. He is going to still log significant innings for you, can still make 10 to 15 starts. And this isn't a knock on him at all. I like Tyler Wells a lot. He's a very good big league pitcher. And as we've learned the last couple of days, an amazing teammate and human being. But from a baseball side of things, he can fill this sort of wild card role for you. Like be that one inning power arm if you need him, a four inning man when a starter gets roughed up early. He can be a starter, step in back into the rotation if you need someone to step up for a few outings. Late inning, high leverage guy. I don't really think it matters what role he's in. He's versatile and should excel. Um, regardless, it's a really good problem to have. And I love that this is the type of debates Orioles fans can have. Not sitting around debating about these you know, quad A players who aren't even in baseball anymore or, or overseas playing. We, we're debating and discussing a group of quality major league arms here. But I'd go well to the pen, but certainly interested to hear any alternative thoughts on that question. Good, good thought-provoking question over the next couple of days as Kyle Bradish, it looks like he will be back when he's eligible to come off the 15-day the IL there. Uh, another question from Twitter. Can you guys explain Colton Kowser to me? He was supposed to be a left-handed hit tool on base machine in the mold of Nick Markakis, but suddenly he's become a three true outcomes player more in the mold of, dare I say, Chris Davis. I'm not saying he can't still be a great player with that skill set, but he's kind of befuddling player who feels a lot more risky than the safe player he was touted as when he was drafted. This is from Orioles Feed on Twitter. I'm going to cheat a little bit here. I'm actually going to table this one for our regular show this coming week, only because Colton Kowser's start to the year in Norfolk is obviously not good. It's, what, two hits, three hits in six games. And I think this will be a good discussion when all three of us are together and give us something really good to talk about when we look at what's going on around Norfolk. Because, I mean, Westberg, good. Ortiz hits ball hard. Norby hits everything, yada, yada. The Kowser discussion, I think, is much more interesting due to what we saw from spring training, what we saw at the end of last year when he was in AAA, and then his start to this year. So the the Kowser discussion gives is going to give us a lot more to talk about. So Bob and Zach, when you hear this, uh, here's a segment for next week's show. But thank you, Orioles Feed, for this question. We will dive into this much more with all three of us 
next week. Uh, last one here, David on Patreon. David gets his weekly, uh, can we get a preview series question? The Orioles have Oakland and the Chicago White Sox next week. Chicago's like a week away at this point, so I will focus on Oakland, though. The A's are, and I shouldn't say this because the Orioles are now going to get swept, and if they do, play this back and shame me because I deserve it. But the A's are a AAA team. Like They are tied for Detroit with Detroit for the worst run differential in baseball right now. Uh, they have a team WRC plus of 80, which they're actually teams worse, but still. Uh, Jesus Aguilar and Jace Peterson are two of the more prominent players on this roster. The outfield of Seth Brown, Ramon Laureano, and Estreri Ruiz is not that intimidating. Ruiz is lightning fast, only player in the minors who stole more bases than Luis Valdez last year. But he's got to get on base first. Seth Brown leads this team in at-bats. He's hitting 214. Uh, honestly, they should kind of just go up and call up Daryl Hernandez at this point because the infield, uh, Tony Kemp, and I don't even know who their shortstop is, uh, kind of a dreadful infield. I do like Shea Langoliers a lot behind the plate, but uh, poor Shea Langoliers just really didn't have a whole lot of help offensively on this roster. And in the rotation, the pitchers the Orioles hitters are going to be facing, Ken Waldachuk, he's given up seven home runs in eight innings. James Caprillion and J.P. Shears have combined to give up eight runs on 15 hits in their two starts. Uh, Shintero uh, Fujinami was rocked in his debut, and Kyle Mueller has really been the lone bright spot, but overall this staff allows a ton of walks. If the Orioles offense doesn't hit a rut during this series, we should see a few offensive performances like we saw in Boston. If you want to be a playoff team, don't tell me that April wins and losses don't matter. They do. If you want to be a playoff team, prove it and take this series against Oakland with ease. This is not a good team. It is a West Coast team traveling to the East Coast. Take advantage of it. Take three out of four, at least from the Oakland A's. Now, we do actually have one more question here from another David, actually, uh, from Twitter. David wants to know, I know it's only been a couple of nights of watching all four affiliates, but is there someone who's already sticking out to you as a big surprise with their performance? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of names that I'm sure will highlight more of these guys on uh, our regular show this week, which we will be live Wednesday night instead of Monday night this upcoming week. Forgot to mention that earlier, but Chase McDermott pitched really well. Justin Armbruster was strong. Ryan Watson, who I talked about earlier, did a fantastic job. I thought for Norfolk, Samuel Basayo looks incredible. He looks as advertised, but uh, the name that I'm going to dig a little bit deeper here for that I've been probably the most impressed with through it's only been two nights but creed willems creed willems the 19 year old catcher down in delmarva through two games he is four for seven with two doubles a home run three rbis four walks and just one strikeout he played first base on opening night and was behind the plate him and basayo switched uh on night two actually i don't remember if basayo played first base or not but creed played first base opening night he was behind the dish on night two fantastic job at the plate the home run i don't have any you know exit velos or distance or anything we didn't even have sound on the broadcast for much of that game on friday night in salem but the creed willems home run was rocked a laser out to right field he looks you want to talk about an early overreaction creed willems looks fantastic right now uh we'll see how how that bat continues to play as the season progresses but through two games very small sample size creed willems 571 average, a 213, a 2013 OPS. So fantastic start to the year for Creed Willems. 
Thank you to everyone who asked questions. Uh, reminder, we do this every single weekend. Uh, don't know who's going to be doing this next week. But feel free to send in your questions via via Twitter. DM us there. Join the Patreon, patreon.com slash ontheverge. Get in the WhatsApp group. A lot of questions get asked there. That's where most of our questions for this segment come on. You get early access to this episode if you are a Patreon member, plus plenty, plenty of other perks, including daily recaps of what happens across the Orioles minor league farm system. Those have started in earnest now that all four affiliates are in action. Uh, yeah, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can send questions via email as well, the Verge BSL podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this, and we will talk to you again, all three of us, on Wednesday night. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season, and much, much more. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.